Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having another good week out there. How's your week going? Good. That's enough out of you. Okay, so our weather here is absolutely horrible. Last Thursday we had it about 84 degrees and we've had snow the last two days. Which is going to lead us into our first uh, story from our news correspondent. Um, it says the residents of Portland, Oregon woke up to a rare April sight on Monday, which was a blanket of fresh snow. They said it's the first time that, uh, it was the city's first measurable snow in April since record keeping began more than 80 years ago. Holy crap. Yeah. Didn't know that, did you? They had that much snow? Well, Well, it's measurable, measurable snow. It says in 82 years of record keeping... Portland International Airport had never recorded more than a trace of snow in April. Uh, says that ended today. One to three inches of snow fell around the city. So. Uh, and they all freaked out. Don't know how to drive. Yeah, they probably shut the city down or something. Um, wish it would have snowed back in the summer when they were doing all those riots. That would have been good. That would have been funny. Helped to put the fires out. Right. Yeah. Uh, our next thing that we're looking at. So uh, the Biden administration said Tuesday that it would allow high ethanol content gasoline to be sold in the hot summer months. And so evidently, it's kind of a long story, so I'm just going to summarize that they were wanting to hopefully be able to lower gas prices for the summer. It says that uh, the Labor Department on Tuesday said inflation hit a new four-decade peak of 8.5% in March from the same month uh a year ago driven by surging energy and food costs and i was talking to a guy this week and he said that really the president or any political member doesn't have the power for inflation to rise like it has it's just coincidental he says that has to do with all the fe or the fed rising rates and things like that well the fed is supposedly going to rise rates to get the economy back raise rates to get the economy back in order or something like that i don't know i wouldn't didn't really follow it but anyhow i just think it's awful coincidental that with all the crap that's been going on and then you know it we've been through democratic presidents we've been through republican presidents and now all of a sudden inflation as it is at an all-time high um and it's still frustrating too that in our national oil reserves we've got more oil and we've got more un uh untapped oil reserves than saudi arabia has why couldn't we just tap into some of this stuff at home they keep saying that they want to hang on to our oil reserves in case something bad really happens yet they're trying to make us all drive electric cars so that we don't have so we don't need the oil reserves so uh it's just i don't know it's frustrating uh, another thing he sent me is that uh, I didn't hear about this. Evidently, there was a fox that got loose on Capitol Hill, and it said this this fox bit a congressman and um, a reporter and at least seven other people in Washington on Tuesday. And uh, they ended up they the fox had a litter, and they ended up having to catch the litter and have them tested. 
and find out how they were going to release them. And, but they, the fox that was running around biting people, they end up having to euthanize it so that they could test for rabies to see if it had rabies. It probably got sick from biting all those congressmen and whatnot. The congressman at bit, I think, the congressman was uh, a guy named Ami Barra. Um, it says uh, he was a Democrat and later showed an image of puncture marks in his suit pants um, that he blamed on the animal. So, yeah, the fox probably ended up with indigestion or something after that. And that's all I had from the news correspondent. But now looking at the news that I found, so yesterday Biden passed a new gun law, and it's going out against uh, the so-called, like the ghost guns, like the AR-15s and stuff that people build. He's passing a law that the parts for those now have to be serialized so that they can trace them back or something like that so that people can't uh can no longer make these unserialized guns uh i don't know it the whole gun debate this the serializing and unserializing of the guns and all this other stuff it isn't going to help with gun control i don't personally feel the city in the united states that has the toughest gun laws also has the highest gun crime rate so like everybody says, the criminals are still going to get the guns and still shoot up places, just like the guy did on the New York City subway today. Uh, a guy shot a bunch of people on the subway, and they do now, they just released a little bit ago that they do have a person of interest, um, a suspect that they think was responsible for it, but it doesn't sound like they've captured him yet. It sounds like he's uh, maybe still at large. But, and if you look at him, he's pretty large. But anyhow, they're going to uh, go down that way. But like I'm saying, when people are in a mental distress situation like that or whatever that he must have been in to do that, uh, they're still going to get the guns. And you just can't take the human factor. When you make laws, you still got to put the human factor in there that bad people are going to do bad things. And those of us that are responsible aren't going to do bad things. So, Gilbert Godfrey died. He was the actor uh, that had that really annoying voice, kind of like the voice your wife makes when you're trying to watch a TV show. Um, wow. He ended up dying today. He was only 67 years old, I think. Yeah. But they said he'd been battling a long illness. And, uh, yeah, he passed away today, so that's too bad. Mm-hmm. He was on Aladdin, and I think... Wasn't he on, like, what he, What's Eating Gilbert Grape or something like that, too? But anyhow, uh, getting into what we're going to talk about tonight. So this part of the song is Liston Beats Patterson. And it's about the boxing match between Sonny Liston and uh, Floyd Patterson. And I'm not really sure how to go about this one. Because uh, if I talk about the fight, it's just going to be pretty short. So I decided... Uh, I would kind of merge a little bit of the two guys' lives and then talk about the fight, which is really anticlimactic when we get there. So, in one corner, we have Floyd Patterson, and he was born on January 4th of 1935 in Waco, North Carolina, and he was one of 11 children in his family, so needless to say, they were poor. 
his family moved to Brooklyn, New York, and by the age of 10, he was already in, getting into trouble. So he was sent to a reform school for boys. And he actually said that this ended up turning his life around. He spent about two years at the school. And he began boxing around uh, age 14. About three, uh, And then three years after that, he ended up winning the gold medal at the 1952 Olympics in Helsinki as a middleweight. And pretty soonly, or pretty quickly after that, he turned pro. And in 1954, he won the light heavyweight championship. Immediately after that, his manager said that Patterson had his eyes on the heavyweight title. And he became the youngest heavyweight champion at the age of 21. So now as a heavyweight champion, he was ending having to defend his title. And in 1959, he ended up losing the title to a boxer from Sweden. The, and it said that the ref actually stopped the fight in the third round after Patterson had been knocked down seven, uh, seven times out of three rounds. But a year later, Patterson ended up getting the title back after he knocked uh, Johansson. That was the Swedish guy that he lost it to. He knocked him out in the fifth round. And he says that he knocked him out so bad that Johansson laid on the mat unconscious for about five minutes. And... Uh, there was another boxer that I uh, talked about, and he knocked the guy out so bad that they actually had a, a priest come and give the guy his last rites and stuff. Like, this guy was out colder on a block of ice. But, uh, and then Patterson and Johansson, they fought again uh, a year later, and Patterson ended up knocking him out in the sixth round. And at this point, Patterson was defending his title, but his manager wouldn't let him fight the number one contender, who happened to be Sonny Liston, because they said that he had mob connections. And eventually, Patterson removed his manager, and he agreed to fight Sonny. So, in this corner, we have Sonny Liston. And his actual name was Charles Liston. He was born sometime in 1930. They aren't exactly sure of the date, because one writer said he thought it was July 22nd of 1930. Um, the Arkansas or the state of Arkansas, they didn't make birth certificates mandatory until 1965. Because um, I think, don't they have to have uh, the parents on the birth control, or on the on the birth certificate? Yeah. Yeah, and they didn't want brother and sister to be listed. Oh, please, please. Uh, so anyhow, his family was poor as well, and his family, they were sharecroppers from St. Francis County, Arkansas. And you think uh, having 11 children in Patterson's family was bad? Get this. Uh, evidently, when you're as poor as these guys were, uh, there's only one thing you're going to do to pass the time. Uh, his father was in his mid-40s when Sonny was born. His mother was almost 30 years younger. And so we're talking about a guy in his 40s hooking up with a girl that may be in her late 20s. Or late teens or early 20s, I guess. Uh, which, you know, go get him. But anyhow, his mom had one child of her own when they got married. And his dad had 13 children with his first wife. Then his mom and dad went on to have 12 children together. So this guy had 25 kids between two women. Uh, oh, my. Yeah, I want to talk about wearing out the plumbing. I don't th think I have 25 people in my immediate family. That, uh, I don't even know how you come up with names for that many kids. 
Um, and on top of it all, of having all these 25 kids, kids, it sounds like his dad was just a total ass. Uh, he would whip Sonny so bad that he ended up having scars on his back even decades later. Which, I mean, you kind of got to give the guy a pass. Having 25 kids, I might be a little bit on the irritable side myself. But his mom, she finally left and uh, left his dad, and she went to St. Louis with some of his siblings. I uh, didn't really say how many. But about a year later, Sonny, he had evidently had enough of his dad, and he worked. Uh, he ended up getting odd jobs and whatnot to save enough money to go be with them. And once he got there, he enrolled in school, but he ended up leaving shortly after because he was getting teased about his illiteracy. So he ended up having to seek un- or seek employment uh and as you can imagine, it wasn't really good employment. It was pretty sporadic and pretty explo- exploitive as well. So Liston ended up turning to a life of crime. He had a bunch of thugs with him, and they were known by the cops as the Yellow Shirt Band. But uh, they would do a bunch of muggings and armed robberies and whatnot. Uh, and they came up with a name for him because he wore a particular shirt in a lot of the different muggings and robberies, and that's kind of how people were identifying them, was by this fancy yellow shirt that he had. But he ended up getting caught in 1950, and he was sentenced to five years in the Missouri State Penitentiary. Uh, it said that Liston didn't really seem to mind his stint in prison. He said, at least here I'll get three meals a day. But the athletic uh, director of the prison, he suggested that he should try boxing, so he started training for that, and it actually helped him to get an early parole. And he ended up getting released in 1952, and uh, he found out he was pretty good, so he immediately joined the amateur boxing ranks. He ended up getting the Chicago Golden Gloves in 1953 on March 6th, and then on March 26th, he was representing Chicago in New York uh, for the Golden Gloves Tournament of Champions there. He ended up winning that, and he got the Inner City Golden Glove Award, is what it was called. And then he went on to represent the U.S. in the International Golden Gloves. And then by September, he was ready to go pro. So he just kind of wham-bam and kind of like his dad and having kids. Just get to it. This is kind of where, though, the mob ties come in. uh, That we talked about why they wouldn't let Patterson fight him. Uh, Once he turned pro, the only people that were willing to fund him were guys that had ties to the underworld. And so to supplement his income, he would work for them as an intimidator or an enforcer. And his first professional fight, he ended up knocking out his opponent in the first round. He got his first loss in his eighth fight, but he ended up uh, fighting part of the match with a broken jaw. And he ended up fighting that same guy two more times and ended up beating him both times. Uh... So even though he was starting to make some money in the boxing ranks and whatnot, he was still having trouble with the law. Uh, the police, they would stop him on site because they knew he had a criminal record. And they also knew he was in cahoots with a labor racketeer. So he was starting to avoid main streets and kind of, you know, just kind of keep a low profile. But he wasn't doing much to help himself e- either. Uh, he was once confronted by an officer about a cab that was parked near his home. And Liston ended up assaulting the officer by breaking his knee, gashing his face, and taking his gun. He claimed that the officer was using racial slurs, which, looking at the times, he probably was. But more cops ended up showing up, and they finally subdued him, even after they had broken nightsticks over his head trying to take him into custody. 
And it was said that this was widely publicized and it didn't really help him out a whole lot because um, once the story went out, people were talking about, you know, this big guy that couldn't be, they called him a nightmarish man or something like that. But anyhow, he was sentenced to nine months in jail for this, but he was paroled after only six months. But now he was uh, on the cops' radar and he was serving multiple overnight detentions. And then there was also a threat to his life, so he ended up leaving there and moving to Philadelphia. And finally, in 1960, he became the number one contender for the title that was held by Patterson. And so you remember that Patterson's guys wouldn't let him have a title fight because of his links to organized crime. Um, Liston, he wasn't helping himself out much in that area either. He was training to get his title match, but he was also continuing to participate in all the criminal activity that he was doing. He ended up getting arrested two more times, which caused him to get kicked out of the Pennsylvania Athletic Commission on July 14th of 1961. And this suspension ended up being honored in all states. But then on the flip side of it, Patterson's manager, he got kicked out of the New York State Athletic Commission for alleged misconduct. So it seems, you know, they were all kind of breaking the law. Kind of the pot in the kettle there. But there were also civic leaders that didn't want them to fight. They didn't want Liston to uh, set a bad example for the youth in the area. And even the president didn't want him to fight. At one point, Patterson had met JFK, and JFK didn't want him to fight Liston because of his ties to organized crime. And um, funny that JFK would be talking about organized crime. And last but not least, Jack Dempsey didn't think that Liston should deserve a shot at the title. Um, Liston returned back that Dempsey's failure to serve in World War I made him unqualified to moralize somebody. And, if I remember right, Dempsey's wife actually owned a particular establishment that was legal in Nevada. And I don't think I need to explain what type of establishment that was, but it may or may not have been called Donna's Ranch. But finally, Liston played the race card. Um, although both of them were black, Liston came out and said that Patterson was afraid to fight him because most of his challengers had been white boxers. He said that Patterson was drawing a color line against his own race. And this must have been the straw that broke the camel's back because Patterson finally agreed to fight Liston on September 25th of 1962 in Comiskey Park in, Sh in Chicago. So as you can imagine, the media uh, and the betting was going crazy over this thing. Uh, they had listed listed as an 8-5 to five favorite, but 64 out of 102 reporters picked Patterson. Sports Illustrated had Patterson to win a 15-round battle. They said that Liston hadn't fought anyone with the versatility of Patterson. And a lot of former champions had also picked Patterson, but there was a new and up... Uh, new boxer that was uh, kind of an up-and-comer at the time named Cassius Clay that picked Liston to deliver a knockout in the first five rounds. Do you know who that up-and-comer named Cassius Clay was? I can't remember. Ah, nice save. It was Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I should probably maybe do a research, a little episode on him. The way I understand it, uh, he changed his name to Muhammad Ali so he wouldn't have to go to Vietnam. Um, there was 
quite a few people that did things to get out of Vietnam, like Muhammad Ali, uh, Bill Clinton, and Jane Fonda. She actually did go to Vietnam, uh, but she committed one of the worst atrocities ever. She's the one who uh, sent the... Huh? She's a traitor. Well, yeah, she went to meet with the POWs, and they all gave her their uh, social security cards when they shook her hand, and then she went and handed them over to the guys that were guarding them. So, anyhow. So, there was all this build-up to the fight and everything, and the match lasted two minutes and six seconds. Liston came in weighing 25 pounds heavier than Patterson. He was 214, and Patterson was 189. And Liston ended up catching him with a left hook to the jaw, and he was down for the count. And this was the third fastest knockout in a world heavyweight title, and the first time the defending champion had been knocked out in round one. And now for another tangent, I think Mike Tyson actually knocked a guy out in 90 seconds in one of his fights. And secondly, can you imagine the frustration of the fans that went to see this fight? They had all this hype leading up for it. They probably paid an exorbitant price for tickets, Mm -hmm. and the whole thing was done in two minutes. But... You know, obviously they probably had other matches, but everyone was here to watch this one, and in two minutes and six seconds it was over with. But after the fight, I kind of feel bad for a little bit. He had uh, he drafted up a speech to give to the crowds uh, that his friends said that would be at the Philadelphia airport, and we sh- when he showed up, there was hardly anyone there. It was mainly just reporters and public relations staff. One reporter said that he saw Sonny sweeping his eyes across the people there, and you could see the deflation and hurt in his eyes. He had been deliberately snubbed, is what they said. Which, I mean, I can kind of see, you know, how that would be pretty bad. You know, most of these guys come back to fanfare, and people want to get autographs and stuff, and then there was no one there. But then on the other hand, um, he kind of brought it on himself, you know, uh, he did have a lot of troubles with the law and whatnot. And also, people knew that he, he just wasn't really a very nice person. He was always rude to reporters, and he was also said to be rude to waitresses, or to like wait, waitresses and uh, people like that when he was in restaurants and stuff. So it's not like he was doing a whole lot to help himself in that regard either. But due to his lackluster return to Philadelphia and his run-ins with the law there... Uh, he packed up his tent and headed west, and he ended up in Denver. And he met with a clergyman there who was going to help him get his drinking under control uh, and kind of worked with that guy for a little bit. And he took up permanent residency in Denver, and he said that I would rather be a lamppost in Denver than the mayor of Philadelphia. So the fight that they had, though, it did have a rematch clause in it. And Patterson wanted a chance to redeem himself, so they fought on July 22nd of 1963 in Las Vegas. This time, though, Patterson lasted four seconds longer and was counted out at 210 in the first round. And Liston still didn't have the fans on his side. His uh, win was met with a bunch of boos from the crowd. But he uh, told a reporter that they were going to either have to go with him until somebody could beat him. So, um... Which, I mean, he's right. And somebody did finally beat him. It came in February of 1964. And the person who ended up beating him was... Cassius Clay. Good job. 
Uh, and reading this, I read about this fight. There's actually a bit of a story there. Uh, while they were fighting, Ali was complaining that Liston had something on his gloves that was irritating his eyes, and he couldn't hard, hardly see him through most of the fifth round, but by the sixth round, his eyes had cleared up, and Ali actually worked him over pretty good. Um, they said that Ali was pretty much fighting out of rage, it seems like, at that point, and they never did say definitively whether there was... They thought that it may have been some stuff that they Liston's... Um, ring man or whatever they call him uh had put on his gloves to try to stop bleeding or something like that some sort of medication that got onto his gloves and got in Ali's eyes but um Ali ended up working him over pretty good and Liston didn't come out of his corner for the seventh round and it was the first time since 1919 that the world heavyweight champion quit on his stool so yeah and due to the fact that we like to end this podcast every episode pretty much with death, um, Liston was found dead by his wife on January 5th of 1971, but his official time of death, get this, so January 5th, which is the day after our son's birthday, and they listed his official time of death on December 30th of 1970. Whoa. And you know what December 30th is? The day he died. And your birthday. And this, I don't know if I told you guys this, but it really, really frustrates me. I'm thinking about changing my birthday because I have the same birthday as LeBron James. And we all know how I feel about that guy. But anyhow, his wife had been away on a two week trip and came home to find him dead. Uh, the police claimed that his cause of death was a heroin overdose. And Patterson, on the other hand, he ended up dying of prostate cancer and Alzheimer's disease. On May 11th of 2006. And that's pretty much all I have for the whole Liston-Patterson thing. Sorry it was such a build-up to such a short fight. Which um, the fans, like I said, they probably felt that way too. Um, do you have any thoughts about it? Nope. Do you have any thoughts about anything? Not right now. She'll come up with some right after we turn it off like last week. Anyhow, uh... Hope you guys are enjoying uh, our new guest on the podcast. Hopefully she'll stick with us and uh, maybe uh, have a little bit more to add in future episodes. Maybe I'll just turn the mic over to her for an episode, and then she can do the whole thing. And then I'll just sit back and make faces at her. But go out there and uh, follow me on the podcast from P-Town Facebook page or P-Town Podcast on Instagram. Or you can send me an email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com. And so that she doesn't feel out, feel left out, do you want to say goodbye? Bye. And we will see you guys on the next one.